you don't just live in your home, you live in your neighborhood as well. So when you're shopping for a home, you want to know as much about the area around it as possible. Luckily, Homes.com has got you covered. Each listing features a comprehensive neighborhood guide from local experts. Everything you'd ever want to know about a neighborhood, including the number of homes for sale, transportation, local amenities, cultural attractions, unique qualities, and even things like median lot size and a noise score. Homes.com. We've done your homework. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O. TIKA.com. We were almost out of business. Literally, like, we had no way to pay the printer back. I don't think we had any employees, a couple of interns, but, like, that was it. We weren't going to make another issue. We couldn't. Welcome to Idea Generation's All Angles, a podcast about culture's most influential brands and the teams that built them. If you're an entrepreneur, creative, or anyone interested in harnessing the power of collaboration, join me, Noah Callahan Bever, each week as we dissect the most dynamic companies in culture. Because the only way to truly understand success is to look at it from all angles. Idea Generation's All Angles is a Will Packer Media podcast. In 1996, Adrian Moeller and Patrick Elasic published the first issue of Mass Appeal magazine. In the nearly three decades that followed, Mass Appeal would grow from an underground graffiti zine into a culture-defining, multifaceted entertainment brand, with a hand in everything from digital content to music distribution to full-length documentaries and much, much more. However, the rise of Mass Appeal has been anything but straightforward. From barely legal circulation schemes and bankruptcy to a shocking death in the family, the brand has endured extraordinary challenges and still, through it all, risen like a phoenix. On this week's episode of All Angles, we talk to co-founder Adrian Moeller, former creative director Sasha Jenkins, as well as current CEO Peter Bittenbender and rap legend slash partner Nas, 
to hear the tale of two mass appeals and understand how a brand can rise, fall, and rise again thanks to an ensemble cast of elite, like-minded culture creators. But before any of that happened, decades before Mass Appeal would release a string of Smash Nas albums or produce an epic four-part Wu-Tang documentary, there were just two teenagers running around the streets of Washington, D.C. with dreams of getting in touch with their graffiti idols. I was living in McLean, Virginia, which is a suburb of D.C. This is Adrian Moeller, co-founder of Mass Appeal magazine. I had a crew of my derelict friends, and all we cared about in life was graffiti, writing on walls, writing on freight trains. And during high school, you know, we would sneak out at night, go paint in the city. We were like a crew of like, I don't know, seven of us, and I think five of us started doing graffiti at the same time. We sucked, we paint like underneath overpasses in the suburbs, and back then, you know, obviously that there was no internet, so we would steal like subway art or any kind of book or magazine we could get our hands on, and kind of quickly realized that we didn't have a lot of talent in the tr traditional sense, but we loved excitement and loved doing daredevil shit, so like bombing aspect of graffiti really appealed to us. Being willing to be uncomfortable, risking getting in trouble, and just getting up as much as possible. Pat and Adrian were in love with graffiti and the outlaw lifestyle that came with it. But they knew that where their talent might be limiting, their passion had no bounds, and they wanted to participate in the culture. So they decided to document it in a magazine, a magazine that they would call Mass Appeal. At that point, we had already been doing graffiti for a while. By the time I graduated, I had moved to New York to go to Pratt. We talked about it a little bit, like, oh, you know, we should do a magazine. But, you know, it was just drunk talk, like nothing ever came of it. And somehow, Pat was just like, yo, I got like five grand from my grandparents. I don't know where he got it, but, and he, he found like a printer that like, it was in DC, you, you know, I think he said they printed like National Geographic, which in hindsight, I really doubt. I used the, the photo lab at Pratt, they had a scanner. I would design like half the magazine in Photoshop. He did a couple pages. I still have the floppy disk that says Mass Appeal on it. And then I would mail him that disk. I honestly didn't think anything would ever come of it, but then he actually got this thing printed. That's how Mass Appeal 1 was born. We had uh, a bunch of copies and we would just go to stores and put them on consignment and get them out there. And in hindsight, I mean, the magazine looked terrible, but it just proved to us that these like kind of 19 year old like fuck up kids could make something. Just by having like a magazine, we were able to get like a couple sponsors for the next one, a couple like graffiti stores that took it. And like people were mailing us shit. Like that was incredible. I mean, we did not put a lot of these out. Most of them probably are still in his basement. You know what I mean? Or his mom's basement. But somehow it would get passed around to different graph writers and we would just get these envelopes with, with pictures in them. And we were like, wow, this is actually like reaching people. Despite its limited print run, somehow Mass Appeal got around, and overnight, the guy started receiving inbound submissions from graph writers looking to be featured in the mag. With very little strategy, but a lot of authenticity, Mass Appeal had found an audience. It was awesome. In hindsight, I think it made us feel important. Rob from A-Life said it really eloquently. You know, Mass Appeal, like at the beginning, was kind of like a blog or social media before there was that for that culture. There were a couple other graph mags out there, but there wasn't a ton of ways to like communicate with everyone. People really treasured those magazines. 
Cope from the Bronx mailed us like some really nice pictures. And we always were like, yo, how did these magazines get all these pictures? We just figured, cause you know, graph guys are so like secretive. Nobody would like ostentatiously just mail a bunch of pictures, but they did. And we got cool shit, you know? And we were just like, dude, like we should do this again. Pat moved to New York fairly quickly. He was my roommate in New York. I had this like rent controlled four bedroom apartment at 234 St. James Place, which Biggie Small was like 232 or something. It was like right next door. It was this huge apartment and I had a couple roommates. I think my rent was 600 bucks for the whole thing. So I literally like lived there for free. We had a little office, you know, for the two years or something, we worked out of there. Pat and Adrian worked to keep Mass Appeal's business growing. Each fell into natural roles that suited them best. I can still picture it. Pat just chain-smoking cigarettes in this little office. It was like boiler room. I mean, he'd probably make 500 phone calls a day. Like, he didn't give a shit. He was relentless. I wasn't as good as, as the sales stuff, but I was good at making, like, decks and sponsorship ideas and whatnot. Pat was always really good at talking to people and good at sales and you know his dad was always in sales and, and taught him a lot always gave us great advice and so that was just a natural thing for him to do i had gone to art school for photography so i loved the whole creative aspect of it the printing thing was kind of just a byproduct of that because you know i was good at doing like the pre-press stuff and some of the graphic design and and I just enjoyed it too. And a big thing that I liked too was just kind of collaborating with creative people. Like in hindsight, like that was my favorite part of the magazine. Just working closely with some really awesome, sometimes really wacky, but just highly creative designers, photographers, whatever, and just m making cool shit. The first five issues were just really like hand to mouth. Like Tower Records would take a bunch of magazines and then they would pay us like half the money for them, almost like upfront. And like that check would bankroll us, get like maybe $10,000 in advertising, not a lot. But we didn't really have any overhead, you know, we were like poor kids. As Pat and Adrian continued to drop issues, their process evolved and they found ways to become more efficient. And with the help of Pat's mom's credit card and the generous return policy at Best Buy, Mass Appeal was able to level up. We really lucked into the timing of that, right? Because desktop publishing became like possible. That was kind of that whole like Quark Express, Photoshop, probably 1.0, I don't remember, but we would take Pat's mom's credit card, go to like CompUSA or Best Buy, buy all the shit we needed, use it for a week and then return it all. And then at the same time, the roots were kind of spreading a little bit. As Mass Appeal started to make a name for itself within graffiti culture, Adrian and Pat looked to differentiate the book within the graph scene landscape. So they avoided featuring overly wrought legal walls and made Mass Appeal's beat high wire bombing. We were like, we're gonna put more bombing into it and writers that took bigger risks. We tried not to put a ton of legal walls in the magazine and the people that we interviewed, we wanted someone that was either just put it all on the line every night or someone that overcame a, a lot of obstacles and made a successful career out of it. Someone like Todd James, you know, that had like an incredible amount of talent, but then transcended that into a successful career outside of it, but without like turning his back on it. I don't know if we really wrote that down or anything, but in hindsight, that's kind of what we tried to do. 
I pretty quickly realized like, this is only gonna go so far. No, like this is fun. I had to get a job. I, I was working for Martha Stewart magazine for a while and using her color printer after hours to print like thousands of media kits. I mean, they had this like printer, like the size of a small room. And, um, you know, I got caught at the end and quit, but, um, <laughs> but, but literally would print like thousands of these things. It kind of worked, but then like we were almost out of business. Literally, like we had no way to pay the printer back. I don't think we had any employees, a couple of interns, but like that was it, you know? We weren't gonna make another issue, we couldn't. Internally, the future of Mass Appeal may have been in jeopardy. However, in the streets, the magazine was gaining heat and they organically caught the attention of another pioneering publisher in their space. I did a graffiti zine when I was a kid and uh, there weren't many zines at the time and maybe two or three in the entire world. This is Sasha Jenkins, who among other things is an acclaimed documentary filmmaker, author, and co-founder of the legendary culture publication, Ego Trip. So Mass Appeal was a zine that I kept up with, and I noticed an evolution. They started to have interviews with rappers and great photography, and, and I, you know, I, I bought it. I was a fan. Sasha kept a close eye on the landscape because in 1990, as a teenager in Astoria, Queens, he self-published a graffiti zine called Graphic Scenes and Explicit Language. Then, a couple years later, in 1992, he and a neighborhood friend, Haji Akabadi, would co-found the first hip-hop newspaper, Beatdown. Sasha's first projects covered what was then a novel mix of interests, from rap music to skateboarding to graffiti. His passion for those cultures and independent publishing foreshadowed the vision that he would bring to mass appeal. Beatdown was a hip-hop newspaper I started with a childhood friend in Queens. It was like an aspiring producer who had worked with Marley Marl and had done things in the music industry. And I had my relationships with artists and photographers. And we came together and did a hip-hop newspaper called Beatdown in 1992. It was printed at a place right across the street from the Queensbridge Housing Projects where they printed newspapers. And it cost us about $650 for the first issue. I was there for about a year. We got Tommy Boy to buy the back cover, which paid for everything for at least a year. Beatdown had done a party with KRS-One and we were giving out newspaper. And I gave it to a gentleman named Elliot Wilson. I said, I know you from high school. And then Haji went up to him and said, I know you from college. So we both kind of randomly knew him, not directly, but seen him around. So he called our voicemail and said he wanted to be down with us and Elliot Wilson got down with Beatdown. Eventually, me and Haji had a falling out where we didn't agree on what were the direction of the magazine. Eventually, Sasha would part ways with Haji and leave Beatdown. However, music editor Elliot Wilson would come with him too. And after a short hiatus, the two would secure seed money from Star Wars producer Henry Chalfant, enlist Beatdown critic Jeffrey Chairman Mao, and co-create a new brand and magazine, Ego Trip. Sometime later, in 94, myself and Elliot started Ego Trip magazine. Ego Trip magazine it was a free magazine in New York. It wasn't all hip hop, it was skateboarding, it was graffiti, it was all of my interests sort of crystallized in a magazine. Elliot loved hip hop, but he was open to the idea of doing something a little different. And my argument was, what purpose are we serving creating another hip hop magazine? What advertisers want to, it's gonna wanna fuck with us, right? Why don't we offer something that's more expansive that can get more advertisers? Maybe we'll get a skate brand, maybe we'll get a clothing brand, right? So that's how I was thinking at the time. So at first it was myself, Elliot Wilson, and Jeff Chairman Mao, who was affiliated with a place I was interning at called Third World Newsreel. There was a magazine called Rap Pages out of California, and 
they had a section called Underground Zine. So Gabe Alvarez, who was the editor there, reached out to us and said, hey, we want to interview you guys about your zine. We think it's really cool. So Gabe interviews us, and then we fly to California to do a Cypress Hill cover story. We meet Gabe in person. We hit it off. We say to Gabe, why don't you move to New York and work on this ego trip thing? He decides to move to New York, and he moves to my mother's house in Astoria, Queens, because we didn't have that much money. But my mom was like, I'll put your boy up. Eventually, Gabe convinced or encouraged Brent Rollins, who was the art director at Rat Pages, to come to New York, which he does. And then once Brent came on board, I mean, he's, you know, obviously a fabulous artist, super talented guy. How brands come together is obviously the talent and the vision that everyone has, but it's also magic. It's also like you can't explain. You know, I look at Ego Trip as a band that I was in and we put out some great records and they stand the test of time and we move on. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O. TIKA.com. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. 
So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. EgoTrip did indeed put out some classics, and I know because I was fortunate enough to be part of it. As a young intern, I looked up to Sasha, and I was eventually able to work with him at, well, we'll get into that later. Meanwhile, at Mass Appeal, things were still looking pretty bleak for Pat and Adrian. The guys were down to their last dollar, and it looked like they had published their last issue. But with a lucky bounce, and a little help from their NYC graffiti network of writers like Sace and Ewok, things would change overnight. Mountain Dew called us and we're like, we need breakdancers to make a video, a commercial. Do you guys do that? And we're like, yeah, yeah of course, we, we have breakdancers. Of course, we didn't know any breakdancers, but it turned out that Ewok knew how to breakdance and Pat somehow got Sace's studio keys and we like filmed this commercial with them there and I think they paid us like $20,000 for it. At that time, like we were billionaires. Like that was like more money than we had ever seen and we were just like, yes! and able to do another issue. Having gotten a taste of blue chip advertiser money, Pat and Adrian had an appetite for more, but they felt that the magazine's rough around the edges aesthetic was gating. So they reached out to A-Life, the independent New York culture brand to help, whose eponymous streetwear line and Rivington Club sneaker boutique defined downtown cool. There was other magazines coming out and they had better ads than we did, nicer paper, all this stuff. And we're like, man, we want to step it up, but like, how do we do that? And then you had a place like A-Life that opened up and meeting those guys is, is when Mass Appeal really changed for the better because my vision was and experience was just really limited. I, I knew I liked better stuff, but I didn't know how to do it. That original A-Life crew, they were like a generation older than me. They'd had like real jobs in publishing, could like really make shit happen. So many people I felt were just like full of shit and didn't have like the life experience to back it up. And, and those guys did, especially Rob. They were able to take like the Iraq crew and a lot of those early photographers and mix that up and put some dope content together. Making those guys the, the creative directors of Mass Appeal at the time was, was awesome. With A-Life in the mix creatively, Mass Appeal became a more sophisticated product, both for consumers and advertisers alike. As soon as we made a few bucks, we got an office, and then A-Life helped make the magazine cool to bigger advertisers. And once we stopped working with them, at that point, we kind of had it figured out, been around enough photo shoots and creative directors and all this stuff to figure out how to hire our own. And we, we kind of had the recipe down. And then we're like, okay, you know, we could do this six times a year. It became a little easier. At the time, there were probably like a hundred you know, advertisers like the Stussy and the Vans that supported things like Mass Appeal. I mean, that's just so important, you know, because without those companies, I think it couldn't have happened. Support from other independent brands was instrumental in keeping the lights on at Mass Appeal, but they would need to start landing corporate advertisers if they really wanted to grow. We started kind of upselling it to the, the Cools and the Scions and the Fords, and we started getting like real advertisers. I remember when we did like a million dollars in revenue for the year. And I was just like, dude, I'm a millionaire. Like, you know, and yeah, obviously there was nothing left of that million dollars, probably, probably less than that after paying everybody. But that just felt really, really good. Like I felt like we made it. 
on average, probably did like $100,000 in ads per issue. We always just plowed it right back in because there's always something that needed to get, you know, we needed a phone system, we needed a graphic designer, whatever. You know, there's always a list of shit that needed to get bought, you know, that, that never ended. As the overhead grew, the team found creative ways to increase their ad revenue. Going out of business was not an option. So without any other recourse, and in order to stay cash flow positive, Pat and Adrian were forced to um, make some ethically questionable moves. We had all these people that needed to get paid, and the only way we could bring in more money was by just saying that we printed more copies than we did. So <laughs> we did 1,000 copies, and then two, and then five. And then we go after these like real advertisers, and they're like, we don't advertise with anybody that prints less than 50,000 copies. So well, we do 50,000. And then, of course, we're like, well, wait a minute. If they'll pay $8,000 for that, they'll pay 16,000 if we say we do 125,000. And then it just kept going up and up and up. And it just became more and more unbelievable. The, the printer was cool as shit. He would give me like fake receipts if somebody asked for it. Forget just how many were printed. Like we couldn't even distribute that many, you know? So like Tower would keep taking, you know, I don't, I don't know what they took, fucking 5,000 copies and send us the half of them back like a year later. And then at that point we did have real distribution, but you know, Mass Appeal was never like a newsstand magazine. Like it would be on some newsstands and you know, Barnes and Noble was cool. Like we couldn't afford like the front window placement. And even if we could have like, who would have bought it? You know, like it's like a, a very niche thing. I mean, that was definitely like a house of cards waiting to fall down just because it had to keep going up because we had no other way to increase the revenue or we would have just gone out of business. Money was always very tight. We, we used to have this P.O. box we would always check. And I swear to God, there was never any fucking money in it. We'd wait in line for 20 minutes at the at the post office and be like, sure, you don't have any mail for us. Maybe a check fell, fell off. Could you check again? And it was very stressful to, to make payroll and just have the cash flow. Even when we were doing good, the, the cash flow never kept up with anything. So, uh, you know, growing just meant that uh, next month we would have even less of the cash that we needed to run the business. So whenever we had an opportunity to kind of hustle our way uh, into a little bit more money, we, we would take it. everything from just blatantly lying about how many copies we printed with the circulation to like Scion would send us these mailers. And, and I think at that point, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of magazines we said we were printing. They would mail just like, you know, all the inserts to the printer and the printer is like, Dude, what, what do you want me to do with all these things? We're like, ah, just recycle them. Um, <laughs> and uh, so at the time, the cigarette companies were still advertising, but at the same time, they had to give all this money to anti-smoking causes. And a big one of those was the truth. So the truth and the truth.com was funded by tobacco companies to stop kids from smoking. If the truth knew we had cigarette ads, they would never have anything to do with us again. And at the same time, if the cigarette companies knew that we had truth ads, they would want nothing to do with us because it's like, even though they're funding them, it's kind of their arch enemy. So if we took money from the truth, there's no way that we could have money from cigarette companies. But, you know, they both were like, we have to have the back cover or we're not doing it. So we printed half the magazines with one back cover and the other half with the other back cover and then just prayed that they wouldn't see it. And uh, I think the statute of limitations is over. We got away with it. 
Mass Appeal was getting big. Maybe not Rolling Stone or XXL big, but the book was fat with ads and its audience was growing. However, growth necessitates change, and Adrian was struggling with alienating the core graffiti guys that he had started this whole thing for in the first place. I was kind of torn between two worlds because like all my graffiti friends would be like, dude, you guys sold out. It's a fucking clothing catalog. And I hated hearing that, but then at the same time, like I, I knew like to grow, you had to put product reviews in there and shit like that. We were also like, like we're not in a bubble either. So we're seeing, you know, there's a vice and a, and a fader and what else was that? Like flaunt. We knew we kind of had to have our own niche, but not get like too crazy into anything else. I feel like we're good at like finding great people and then giving the trust and the autonomy to do it. And just then, Quite unexpectedly, one of those great people would actually find them. So one day I just called them. I got their voicemail back when people had like answering machines. And I said, yo, I'm a huge fan of your magazine. I think it's beautiful. It's come a long way. Keep doing it. That's it. I wasn't expecting anything. Sasha's call would not only inspire Pat and Adrian to keep pressing forward, but it would also give them a game-changing idea. They called me up and said, we know who you are, and like, you know, why don't you get down with us? And I was like, you guys can't afford me, man. And it's cool, just keep doing what you're doing, it's all good, man, keep going. And so, they kept going. I knew that we did not have good writing in the magazine. He was a good writer, and it seemed like he got it. I called him up one day. They hit me up again, and they said, yo, we want you on board. And I was like, all right, well, let me think about it. We, we met up, like, just, you know, here's the key, Sasha. You drive that part of the magazine. And in hindsight, I mean, I didn't really even know the guy. I knew of him and, and, you know, met him once or something. But he's just one of those people that his intelligence and kindness, you could just tell, like, this is someone I want to be associated with. You know, this is somebody I want to work with. I thought about it. I said, well, I think you need someone who is, you know, I wasn't that old, but I was older at that time. And I wasn't fully plugged into everything that was going on. My interests were a little bit more diverse. I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make myself the editorial director. And as a young man who I think would be great for the job as editor-in-chief, and his name is Noah Callahan Bever. All right. So as I intimated earlier, I, your trusted narrator, actually worked at Mass Appeal for about two years as its editor-in-chief. And for several years after that, I moonlighted as editorial director while I was catching checks at Vibe and later Complex. As I mentioned, I knew Sasha because I had been his 17-year-old intern at Ego Trip and he'd helped me secure my first paid job as a fact checker at Vibe back in 1997. So when he reached out during the summer of 2002 and asked me to come on to run the day-to-day of the editorial operation at Mass Appeal, it was an absolute no-brainer. Sure, they were only offering me a cool $16,000 a year salary without benefits and essentially no editorial budget, but I was all the way in. Sasha was my mentor and the opportunity to work with him was everything. And beyond that, I was so enamored of the camaraderie I had witnessed within the Ego Trip family that I couldn't wait to emulate it and build my own team. Of course, given the total lack of resources, besides the awesome art team of photo editor Angela Boatwright and designer Sally Thurr, that meant assembling an all-star squad of unpaid interns. Honestly, in retrospect, the talent that we brought together was phenomenal. Acclaimed YA novelist Mary H.K. Choi, genius CCO Brendan Frederick, Longtime Complex editorial leaders Jack Irwin and Justin Monroe, Wu-Tang Doc producer Kerry Graber, Hoonigan co-founder Brian Scotto, and Billboard's deputy editorial director Damian Scott, among so many others. 
What I saw in Mass Appeal was what I was aspiring to do with Ego Trip. You know, it's bike messengers and guys who sell weed and like uh, graffiti, hip hop, clothing, all these things that are like commonplace now put together at a time before the internet was really rocking. That was how I lived. That's how I saw the world. I didn't just love hip hop. I loved punk. I loved skate. I loved all this shit that now if you're a kid of color in New York, it's not weird to be into it. So I was like, this is cool to be a part of this. How can I help shape it? It worked out. He ran with it. He got the writing better, improved it. Every collaborator like made it that much better. And then you know, once we had like a, a, the contributors, you know, the, the Ricky Powells and all that stuff and the Estevans and like that's, that was when it was like tight. Yep, we reimagined the magazine, keeping its downtown New York City perspective, but with an eye for broader culture and a particular interest in emergent hip hop. And we tried to make it funny without being cynical or ironic. And we brought in a host of columnists from Ricky and Estevan to House of Pain's Danny Boy to R.A. the Rugged Man. Prophetically, our first cover would pair Nas with his estranged mentor, Large Professor. And then we had stuff like 50 Cent's Guide to Guns and Bad Brains bassist Daryl Jennifer's ruminations on navigating golf courses as a black punk rock icon. Oh yeah, and we also had one of the first feature stories written on Kanye West, the story and photo shoot of which was featured in his genius documentary on Netflix. It was an insane, stressful, and chaotic time, but honestly, speaking at least for myself, it was some of the best days of my life. Things were just, just, just rocking. We were getting lots of ads. And for the first time, we really had like budgets to do stuff. We could pay photographers a little bit. We could uh, rent better equipment. We always put everything right back into the magazine, but we were able to really elevate it from just like a magazine that had pictures of graffiti in it to something that that's really spoke to the, the culture of the time. In 2004, we've started being ready to branch into other things. We're already starting to get a little bored just doing the, the same thing every day for um, eight years at this point. Our friend Paul paints these giant advertising murals in LA, and we're going to be out there for an ASR trade shows. Let's go see if, if something like that could work in New York using like the Mass Appeal Connect. Paul learned how to paint these giant walls for a company uh, called Artifacts. That was it, like one of the only companies that still painted these big mural advertising walls. So he had this skill that was kind of like a direct next step from, from graffiti, but really had nothing to do with graffiti other than that it was painted on a wall. But the graffiti writers and us could recognize that it's kind of the same thing. We just knew that if you hit a good spot, like how many people would see it? And obviously advertising is the same thing. So we're staying at Paul's house in LA, getting drunk one night, and we're like, dude, you should come to New York and paint one of these, and I bet we could sell it to the uh, advertisers of Max Appeal. And he wasn't you know, that crazy about it at the beginning, but we, we kind of convinced him, and he let us borrow one of his photo albums. He had these graffiti photo albums of, you know, like four by six prints of all the work that he painted for artifacts. So we took it back, scanned the whole thing, and just <laughs> put a colossal logo on it and pretended like it was all our work and started sending it out to all the magazine advertisers. It was really tough going at first. Those big vinyl banners were really big and nobody was painting things anymore. But Rockstar Video Games kind of saw the light and they were like, yo, this is really cool. Could you guys do a test one? And we just want to make sure that you guys you know, actually paint something like this. 
they didn't believe that that was our work and in the, in the thing. Paul flew down, painted this one all by himself, and uh, they loved it. And then we must have done like 30 of them in every borough of New York, all just, you know, illegal style, just going to the, uh, like a building owner and just giving him cash. Like, hey, can we paint your wall? Didn't know anything about permitting or any of that stuff. And mostly got away with it. The New York Times caught wind of it, did a really cool article on us. And, you know, the floodgates just opened in a way that uh, it never did with, with Matthew. Open a limited time 11 month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus, it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or slash CD for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great tasting, all natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to symbionica.com. C Y M B I O. T-I-K-A dot com. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. With Colossal's out-of-home marketing angle, Adrian, Pat, and Paul had tapped into a new deeper well and were ready to run the table. Within six months, we're like, holy shit, this is the future. There's something new and cool and just this energy here. There were so many magazines out at the time. There were not any other Colossal's out. Artifacts, they only painted for like the big entrenched companies like the Lamars and the Clear Channels, they didn't have any of their own walls. So we knew from the graffiti side of things that, that the, the locations are what's important. From the very beginning, we're like, we have to get our own walls. And we were able to get a few of them, sell them, and it just uh, it just took off. Things are going really well. Doing it for about eight months, 
And then, you know, we're all hanging out on Paul's birthday one night. And then the next morning, I get the worst call of my life. Being a graph writer, well familiar with the tunnels, Pat knew his way around the subway. On his way home from Paul's birthday, late at night, Pat found himself on the wrong side of the station, headed to Queens rather than Brooklyn. So he decided to jump down off the platform and cross the tracks to the proper side. Tragically, Pat missed a step, slipped, and touched the deadly third rail. You just don't expect that to happen. You know, I had just never had my life turned upside down, literally from like one hour to the next. Like everything was different. I had to go to the morgue and that was, that was fucking horrible, you know? Um, and and they, they didn't show me his body, they showed me a Polaroid of his, of his body. And I just remember I broke down crying. Like the next like three weeks are just like a blur, um, you know, uh, just dealing with that. You know, going to his, his girlfriends and then the, the funeral. I must have been uh, maybe like 25. You know, I didn't know how to deal. On top of dealing with the passing of his best friend, Adrian also had to deal with running their shared business. And what was once a fun creative outlet was now a daily reminder of Pat's death. Once I was back in the office, having to be there with the business, like having to take over like his stuff and call advertisers. And I was like, it just felt like surreal to try to like sell an ad. And then people would ask me, well, where's Pat? And I'd be like, he's dead. And, 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 it, 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 you know, they didn't say it, but like, how are you calling me for an ad? And, and I didn't want to be calling him for an ad, but like, like I had to, it was, uh, it was just so fucking uncomfortable and so shitty. In the years after losing Pat, Adrian also lost his passion for mass appeal. With social media and blogs providing new competition, not to mention a collapsing economy, the landscape was changing and mass appeal wasn't equipped to compete. On top of it, Colossal continued to scale organically, and eventually Adrian could no longer justify splitting his time. So one day, he made the hard decision to shutter mass appeal. My heart was not in it uh, as much anymore. And then we had just started Colossal when Pat died. I mean, it wasn't anything, you know, but we quickly kind of saw that like, hey, this has like better legs than Mass Appeal does because blogs were coming in, social media was like all this stuff. Like, like it was very clear that print was on the way out. And, you know, like there's no like riding this into the sunset. You know what I mean? Like it's going to get ugly. and. By the time I shut it down, it, it was time to do so. And, you know, magazines were f failing left and right. It's tough because I was still, you know, somewhat young and inexperienced and only knew what I knew from doing this one thing. You know, I didn't really have like a big support network outside of it or um, experience of that to lean on. You know, it's draining. It's like being in like a, you know, like a bad relationship or something. It stops becoming fun to go to work. And I waited too long to shut it down too, just for my own pride. So advertisers were canceling, distribution was going down. 
we didn't have money to print even like the like bullshit number of copies that we actually did print, you know, so that got less, you know, expenses kept going up. Like it's obviously it's clear to everybody that they're on a sinking ship. I'm proud of how, how we handled that because, you know, we, we told everybody, we're like, yo, let's put one more really awesome issue out. We managed to sell a bunch of ads for it and we were able to pay everybody, you know, like, I don't think there's, I mean, maybe one or two people didn't, but, you know, pay the printer and like most, like when companies like shut down, there's a lot of pissed off people in, in the wake. And, and, and we didn't do that. You know, we, we didn't plan it out like super long term, but we were like, you know, let's, let's, let's finish this one up and make it, make it special. So we did that and then uh, obviously told everybody. I feel like Colossal kind of absorbed the remaining Mass Appeal staff. Adrian focused on Colossal, Sasha pursued documentary filmmaking, and the descendants of my administration eventually all dispersed, and the Mass Appeal as we knew it was no more. Sasha, now a free agent, partnered with a production company called Roadside and began to cut his teeth in documentary filmmaking. However, after a few years, he got the hunger for more and contemplated his next chapter. I got to a point with Roadside where I was becoming antsy, and that usually comes every 10 years. I, I want to try to do something else. So there's a guy named Philip Leeds, former graffiti artist, hardcore dude, hip hop guy. He approached me. He was like, we should start a creative agency or something. Let's figure something out. I'm like, I'm open to that. It's like, you should meet my friend Peter. He's got a company called Decon. The Peter in question was Peter Bittenbender, the proprietor of the agency and record label Decon, a hip-hop-obsessed creative entrepreneur who in the decade previous had grown Decon from a deck and a dream into a thriving operation. Peter had actually started his career going in a completely different direction. I went to school for restaurant hotel management. Trained chef had zero intent of ever entering the entertainment industry. My last year of NYU, I made a film that was called One Big Trip that ended up becoming quite successful. It was a DVD on one side and a CD on the other. And we got music from like it was hieroglyphics, it was Jurassic 5, it was dilated peoples, etc. And before we know it, like this thing became this sort of like cultural touch point with this doc and this, this soundtrack. But before we put it out, I had to come up with a name for a company. And my business partner at the time, Jason Goldwatch, who directed that film, he was like, let's call it Deconstruction Company. But people just kept referring to us as Decon. Basically for about 10 years, Decon operated working with artists, whether it was Pharrell or Kanye or Ludacris, doing two things, either helping artists produce content or helping them put out their music. At some point, brands started to take notice of what we were doing and they're like, oh, if you're making content for this artist, we want to do stuff similar to that, so let's hire you. So like the Microsofts of the world and the video game companies started hiring us. Besides the advertising work, Decon would more its brand and culture, releasing revered records by Alchemist, Rock Marciano, and perhaps most significantly, J Electronica's Exhibit A and Exhibit C. So I meet Peter. Hey man, you don't know who I am. So I know who you are, you know. Uh... What are you guys trying to do? Like, oh, we're trying to start this agency. He's like, listen, man, I got you by five years. Like, why don't you just join Decon? You save you some time and some effort. We can crush it if we get together. I was like, all right, fuck it. I wound up coming to Decon, which at the time was a record label and a creative agency. And they had done a few videos and some commercials and stuff. And we started to do stuff in TV. You know, me and Peter started talking. And he's like, what's up with Mass Appeal? After laying dormant a few years, the Mass Appeal name had become something of legend. With Adrian's blessing, Peter and Sasha decided to resurrect it. 
Sasha just hit me up out of the blue and was like, hey, uh, if I ever want to do Mass Appeal again, do I have a blessing? And I was like, yeah, of course, man. You know, uh, I think I still have a couple of hard drives sitting around or something. And then he, I guess he talked to Peter. I, I thought nothing would ever come of it. And then a couple months later, he's like, yo, I got, I got this thing going. And I was like, really? Mass Appeal was up and running again, but with a refreshed approach, thanks to the help of Peter's agency experience. The initial plan was to relaunch the magazine and website, as well as to rebrand Decon's existing assets under the Mass Appeal moniker. It was just an obvious thing, like let's change the name overnight to Mass Appeal because it's just such a stronger consumer-facing brand. But there was a final piece of the puzzle that would take the reborn Mass Appeal to the next level. Nas, a Grammy award-winning musician, entrepreneur, and friend of Peter and Sasha, who had actually appeared on our first cover, caught wind of the brand's revival. At the invite of the duo, the former Mass Appeal cover star decided to get on board and help ideate and create a new and evolved vision for Mass Appeal. Peter I knew from hanging out in New York. I always liked him, he was a real chill dude, but had this eye of the tiger type of spirit to go get it and do great things. And Sasha I've known for years and we, we grew up in the same area in Long Island City. We come up in the same place. I knew where their hearts were at when it came to the art form, to what they felt about pop culture, what they felt about people, what they felt about hip hop, and they're my kind of guys to get into this with. I think we have a synergy and uh, people can check the pedigree and see that we're concerned about what's really happening in real time and what's pure and what's honest and people that move the needle on things in major ways. Nas and I had known each other for a few years prior to relaunching Mass Appeal, and we'd been talking about stuff to do together. When we ultimately partnered, the reason it happened is because Sasha respected the work we'd been doing at Decon, and so did Nas, because I'd done a music video for him, and I'd shot some other content. We have a record label, and we have relationships with artists, and we have Nas, but let's keep the core of what Mass Appeal stands for, which is storytelling, but let's do it in the ways more traditional. So let's have a magazine, let's have a website. For the first couple of years, we produced the magazine. I was so proud of it. Like as somebody who loves the graphic design and loves like printed materials, we brought back the magazine. That didn't end up working out, which was a good thing because that, that wasn't our path. But at some point we realized like the brand is more of a storytelling vehicle. Let's be less boxed in in how we tell those stories. And that's when we started to pivot more into content. Let's work with brands, etc. As Mass Appeal moved into longer form content, they secured partnerships with CNN Films, TBS, Netflix, and Showtime to produce documentary films and series. These included Fresh Dressed, a documentary about hip-hop fashion, Rapture, a multi-part series that profiled a swath of budding MCs, and an epic four-part docu-series about the rise of Wu-Tang Clan, of Mikes and Men. Let's bring in some directors and some creatives that we really like and let's become that engine to power these stories. That led to us producing like Rapture, where we developed a bunch of directors that we still work with. And, you know, Sasha did Fresh Dressed, which was his first documentary, which took us to Sundance and kind of taught us, I guess, sort of the ins and outs of the content business. But this was his first time like directing a project and us like producing something of this scale. As the team's film division started to make some noise, it enticed Nas to deepen his involvement and try his creative hand in a new discipline. Starting with You're Watching Video Music Box, a doc celebrating Ralph McDaniel's pioneering rap video show, and then Supreme Team, which examined the infamous Queen's drug empire, Nas rebranded himself not only as one of the top five lyricists of all time, but now as an acclaimed documentary filmmaker too. He was excited, he had ideas, he wanted to do it, he wanted to be involved, he wanted to talk to Ralph. 
And so it just made sense. And same with Supreme Team. Like, he's referenced Supreme Team in his rhymes. He grew up in Queens. He understands the weight of the story. From unsung heroes to the most popular cats out there, we're very interested in their stories. We're interested in, the, in Ralph McDaniels because how important he is to the culture. And he's the first person to bring New York City the faces of the artists they loved. The kids were not seeing these people until Ralph McDaniels put them on public access channel. It just felt like a match made in heaven. I was honored. You know, he's someone that those folks, and I put in quotes, trust. You know, you're not dealing with like regular people on the street, you're dealing with serious heavyweights. And I think that because Nas has referenced them with a level of respect, but distance at the same time, I think they appreciated his reporting. He's being a documentarian in his rhymes, mentioning these folks, talking about their legacies and their dynasties. So that's another project that simply just made sense that he was enthusiastic about. So I think he himself is surprised, but he's surprised in a way where he is really happy with this new direction that he's been you know, messing with. As Mass Appeal looks to the future, they continue to seek ways to expand their impact. Kicking off at the end of 2022, Mass Appeal began a multi-year celebration of hip-hop's 50th birthday under the title Hip Hop 50, orchestrating a litany of content and IRL activations that have only just started to be revealed. So Hip Hop 50 is a global movement to celebrate the 50th anniversary of hip hop. The goal is that this becomes that large scale global celebration of hip hop culture that lasts for multiple years. So we launched it last year and it's dozens of different partnerships with different companies that have either historically been deeply connected to hip hop or we see as a great extension like Carnegie Hall, for example, isn't a brand that's been connected to hip-hop culture, you know, but they're a place that hip-hop should be celebrated. Another brand extension the team is focused on moving forward is broadening their global footprint. Massapil has begun to look to open offices outside the U.S. with an eye on Europe, Africa, Southeast Asia, and India, with ambitions of sourcing local musical talent. At some point we realized we cannot truly be one of the voices of hip-hop. If we're just thinking about hip-hop from a New York sensibility, we had to look at telling stories that were bigger than just in our backyard. And when we started to talk about different places, we could park the, the Mass Appeal flag. And one day I just suggested India because we got a script for this movie called Gully Boy, which is the story of this artist Divine who ended up being our first artist we partnered with in India, but it's kind of like the eight mile of India. Rags to riches, super aspirational story of this artist Divine who came from the slums of India. It came in because Nas was his favorite rapper. So they wanted Nas to EP the film. We partnered with Divine, started partnering with other artists in India very quickly and went from like, where do we go? What are we doing? To like India. Today, Mass Appeal is drastically different from the downtown graffiti zine it started as. But even as the brand branches out into film, television, and music, its commitment to telling authentic stories rooted in hip hop culture remains the same. We do film, we do TV, we do podcasts, we do marketing, we do advertising, we do a bit of everything, and it's become a brand that has real legacy. I think it's awesome. I'll be watching Netflix like one in the morning and I see a fucking Mass Appeal logo on a show that I had no idea was gonna be there, and it fucking puts a smile on my face. Like a proud parent, I think it's awesome. For the longest time, we didn't have people who could advocate for certain stories, and 
I feel great about what we've been able to do in terms of telling these stories at a high level. Real polish, real thought, real art direction, real uh, consideration, great archival. Like, I think we brought that to the game and I don't know who else is really doing what we're doing. For more than 25 years and over its many iterations, Mass Appeal has retained a potent through line, a reverence for documenting outsider culture and investing in the most dynamic creators of tomorrow. From the days of celebrating their graffiti gods, to birthing a definitive canon of documentary films, to developing a roster of musical talent, to now spearheading the 50th anniversary celebration of hip-hop and taking the brand global, Mass Appeal remains dedicated to finding culture's most important untold stories and platforming them with care and consideration. When Adrian and Pat titled the magazine way back in 1995, they did so with tongue-in-cheek, an ironic nod to their fringe passion project. But over the years, from Sasha opening the editorial Aperture to Peter and Nas's work securing broadcast deals around the world and blasting the content to every home, together, the team has wheeled Mass Appeal in all its authentic glory from the obtuse recesses of downtown cool to today earnestly living up to its name. And so now, not only is the money, but also the fame and the respect growing like Mass Appeal. From Idea Generation, I'm Noah Callahan-Bever, and this is the All Angles Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please don't hesitate to like, comment, DM, or tell a friend to tell a friend about Idea Generation and the All Angles Podcast. We can't do any of this without your help, and honestly, your support means everything. We do this for you, and we can't do it without you. This episode was brought to you by Will Packer. Executive produced by John Volacek and Helena Ox. Original music by Valentin Fritz. Edit and sound mix by Nonsensible Production. And hosted by me, Idea Generation founder, Noah Callahan-Bever. Idea Generation's All Angles is a Will Packer Media podcast. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. 
Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Dot com slash compatibility.